Welcome to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you by ASM Technologies. In Series 3, we sit down with a wide range of guests to discuss their journeys working with emerging technology, what innovation means to them, and their advice on navigating the ever-changing landscape as technology continues to disrupt the world. In this episode, Ian Tomkinson chats to Gillian Kowalchuk about what it's like to be a woman in tech, the use of AI, and influencing digital legacies for years to come. Gillian is an award-winning social entrepreneur, most well-known as the founder and CEO of Safe in the City. She was born in Canada, but spent her childhood in Yemen until escaping the Civil War. Her TEDx, Equality by Design, describes her vision of the future, where technology is human-centric and improves people's rights to stay safe. Gillian has been recognized as a global young leader, including being one of only 100 women to be awarded UK's Home Office's Exceptional Talent in Technology visa, the Commonwealth's Businesswoman's Most Inspiring Role Model, and the Top 20 Women in Data in the UK. She is also a keynote speaker and author of Wired Influence, Make Tech Work For You Again. Welcome, Gillian. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Ian, for having me. Yeah, no, great. I've really been looking forward to this because I can quite often tell when I'm working with a guest, just by the questions that come back and the content and stuff, if it's going to be a really good show. So I'm really, really well prepared. I've done a little bit of research, which I think is the courteous thing to do. I'm going to first, obviously, after my introduction there, Safe in the City is an interesting app. I actually downloaded it and had a play as well. Would you mind, just for people who may not know what it is, just give me a bit of background what that is, please? Yes, so Safe in the City encompasses a couple technologies. We have our Safe in the City app, which is getting people A to B and using safety as a lens of how you choose to navigate. Then we have our i3 intelligence, which helps other applications have that same functionality to look at safety as a lens, providing alerts, knowing when to get help, and helping people feel informed along their journeys. And then our APIs that help integrate into those different softwares. Great. That, that's a great overview. And I was trying to explain it to my daughter the other day and she, she goes to university in Liverpool and she, she's off, off around the city. And I was telling her that there was this app, app out there that not like Google that gets you there the fastest route, that gets you there the safest route. And I was actually, when I did download it, I did find it a little bit disturbing with some of the, I suppose, things that people can add in there, the different categories in there of what can actually happen to, to women on a route, you know, from catcalling to actual physical interaction, contact that's unwelcome. And that, you know, I suppose when you actually see it on an app of have you had this experience, and obviously there are people out there that do have that experience, which is why the, the app is needed, that, that's quite worrying. And I suppose moving on, how did you come up with the idea for, for Safe in the City? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'd be keen to hear what your daughter said after she maybe downloaded or heard that concept. That's great that you're having these types of conversations, because as you said, sometimes it's a perspective that's really missed from other people who might not think about the things that another group might experience. And Safe in the City really started with that gender lens of safety, as that was a passion of mine, part of my professional experience in public health and epidemiology. 
And something that I personally related to as a newcomer to London, trying to navigate the streets, but not knowing where was safe and recognizing that there's a whole definition and spectrum of what that means. But recognizing that there were these different experiences of from sexual harassment, as you said, catcalling all the way to actual violence that were happening, but we don't have data sets to represent them. So it was our case study, so to speak, of you know looking at women and different, I guess, genders and their experiences, because that also has been something I think missed in technology and something that certainly stood out to me when I was thinking of the idea. Great concepts. I really like it. It's very, very different. And again, I can see it from my perspective of people traveling, particularly even more so when they're probably traveling for business and probably not been to the city before. I think it's a great idea. Congratulations on that. I suppose just the other thing I picked up from, obviously, doing my little bit of research, you're quite well-traveled as well for most people. And, you know, most people have done the Canaries or, you know, done their holidays in Greece, but you've had quite an interesting sort of travel. Can you give me a bit of an overview on that? Yeah, I think it all fits together. And in the TEDx talk, I I do try to link up some of those disjointed maybe points about myself to to help connect those um, a little bit clearly. So yeah, as you mentioned, I grew up in Yemen, which is a very odd place. I haven't come across that many people, at least from a Western background that have gone there. It's not often regarded as safe, but it was a very transformational experience as as a young child. And we were really lucky because we were one of the, I guess, early families for an oil and gas project that my father's work brought him to, that we did also do a lot of traveling in different developing countries. And so I probably by the time I was 10, I think I'd been to 25 or something countries. And it really stuck with me to continue that. And now I'm closer to about a third of the world. So it's become a way of life for me to live and travel in these new cultures. And I think for innovators, especially in technology or business, being able to see the different points of view, how cultures resolve and, and sort out different problems that we share, it becomes something really palatable that you have this broader, I guess, idea spectrum that you can draw from. And you'll probably hear me, I have a few books because I'm I'm quite a book group worm. So there's a great book called The Medici Effect by Franz Jonasson. And he talks a lot about, again, that diversity of perspective being something that is at the heart of innovation. I'm a big believer in those sort of different life paths and sometimes just been somewhere different that it, it, it does. And I know the old saying that, you know, travel broadens the mind, but I generally do think it does and makes you more receptive to, to different ideas and different people's perspectives on things. And I think that's only a good thing. Exactly. And I, I've been really lucky that a lot of my adult travel has been solo, whether it was moving to and living in different countries or just embarking with new people. And it it does give you that perspective of, I guess, vulnerability and overcoming some of the fears, especially maybe family or friends who had maybe never been to places like Uganda, where I lived briefly. You know, the perception of safety can be quite high for people who've maybe not been experienced in those places. But once you land and you understand the same principles of how you can navigate and pick up on your gut intuition and these types of things, 
it's really helpful that our technologies start to mirror part of those human aspects that we have and bridge some of those gaps. So we feel free, more free to travel and, you know, occupy and, and live our life in different ways. I suppose coming onto the technology side of, you know, the story, I'm sort of quite proud that we have quite a large female presence in the business. And I think we did some sums the other day, and I think something like 61% of our entire workforce is female. And say most of my management team, in fact, all my management team are are ladies. And um, yeah, that, you know, I think it, work, it, it works really, really well. You know, we bring people into the business because they're good at what their job and we, we don't differentiate against, you know, anybody for any particular reason. I think that, and I think people are missing a trick by, having a different agenda, perhaps. So just from your perspective, as a female coming into the tech sector, you know, and, and particularly from an entrepreneurial perspective, have you been welcomed in, into the sector and have people, you know, sort of been receptive or have you seen boundaries to that progression yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I always feel like I'm a little bit stumped because I'm like, I guess I'll never know what it's like to be a man coming into the, the field to, to make any comparisons. But I certainly think that it exists in both respects is, is how I see it. I think there's so many opportunities that there weren't, you know, 20 years ago, but there are still these stubborn challenges that were really slow in chipping away or in some cases reverting back to. I do think that sexual harassment and some of the misogyny, uh, sexism that's built into our, I guess, everyday systems are still something that is taking some time, whether it's the gender pay gap or, again, sexual harassment. So it becomes even more important to look at how do we capture that information and make data-driven decisions with allies such as yourself that are trying to break through or see the the advantages of working with a more diverse team that feels safe and feels comfortable to grow and be be themselves in the workplace. So there certainly have been spaces that I've occupied. I sit on several boards and organizations, the Tech London Advocates Women and the Commonwealth Business Women's Network and the Department for International Trade. So we have these conversations and sometimes they do feel a little bit circular of some of the barriers, but I don't think that they exist in a, a nutshell only in technology. They're reflecting some of the, again, challenges that exist for, for women in all different walks of life. I, I, I do find it bizarre. And, you know, my, I suppose my closest experience to it is my family and, you know, having two young daughters, what one that wants to go into a medical profession and, you know, massively into her science and is a STEM advocate and and another wants to, to go into the legal sort of profession. And, and you know, to to hear that there are boundaries to that progression and, and that they are considered, I suppose, not welcome or perhaps viewed as not equal really does trouble me. And you know, I want my girls to have the, the same opportunities that I did in my career and yeah, I do find that quite disturbing, which is why I'm quite passionate about making sure that we as an employer are, are treating people equally, but also that we're supporting other people out there to do so because, that, you know, we need those different opinions because, again, coming back to that innovation, you know, to be able to innovate, to do things differently. I always say that my team will get fed up with me saying, it. you know, more heads are better than one. And the more different opinions that we can get in, involved with, 
the stronger we will be as a business. And you know, I think you're a great example of that from from everything that I've seen. So that, that's great to hear that someone's got a voice out there. Thank you, Anne. And that I think it's fantastic because, as you said, when when we're young and with our families and our loved ones, we want the best for them. We want all the opportunities, and that's something that I think we we truly do believe and want. But in reality, as we kind of progress, we we come across these hurdles, and it becomes difficult to know where to start on how to unpick them. But yourself and your organization like that that's exactly where you need to start it's this isn't right to understand that perspective to have these different conversations and find the ways that you can lift other people up and it's not even a gender only you know everyone's been different and has appreciated when there's an ally who's stuck up to you know pull them on the sports team or you know maybe advocated for a mental health issue or a different physical physique or medical condition. So I think the more that we can intersect empathy, then the more we realize that there's a lot more uniting us than differentiating us. And those barriers that we create often have those consequences towards progression that we all benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose expanding on 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 you know something that you touched on before in terms of the speed that you know that companies are are progressing and obviously technology emerging technology innovation is moving at a hell of a pace and normally I'm speaking to people about saying is, is uh, can legislation keep up with technology and the pace of it but I suppose from from your perspective are the speed that companies and social change is coming is that keeping up with the technology or is it the other way around you know, how do you view that yeah i think in general there is still a big distribution gap of where these technologies exist you know whether that's infrastructure in places in maybe sub-saharan africa or you know the people who are designing it and maybe thinking and missing perspectives um, that we have and now certainly fast forwarding into you know ai looking at how does that get programmed into these systems that automate things like bias that could actually create even more divide or polarization or challenges? So I think we still have a, a long ways of, of going in terms of bridging the gap between social change and technology. And I think that's part of the, the uniting factor when you are a, a social entrepreneur looking at how do we maybe move beyond just profits, because ultimately, if we have a habitable planet to live on and you know, we're treated with dignity, respect, and we're able to make freedom to make choices and, and travel and, and pursue different goals, we, there's a net benefit to all of this than the win-lose, I think, um, models that we're still trying to move through. And I, I did mention it, my, my TEDx talk is really poignant example. I believe it was from Mercier that, you know, in terms of self-driving cars, the things that we used to imagine in movies only a couple decades ago, we're pretty close and, you know, in some cities actually even implementing these autonomous cars, but we're about 700, no, 217 years away from closing the gender pay gap, which you can just imagine that's generations that your daughters or their daughters or their daughters like would have to know that they weren't 
valued as much in the workplace. And those are some of the things that we should all be outraged by, because again, those ideas that are out there that could solve critical you know, healthcare challenges, cancer or climate change or safety tech, I think they exist in all different types of people. And the more we can unlock that potential, the better. Yeah, no, no, I fully agree. And and that's a that's an insane stat that that it, it, 217 years. I, I just find that, yeah, that that's really bizarre. Yes. Um, I, it, it's frightening to know a lot of stats. And I think that's why my my passion for technology and you know feminism and equality is is has grown over the years because you do see these areas where there is such a divide of how women and and violence and disproportionate inequalities really impact them and then other groups by design and i suppose coming into that you know i i asked some, some of my colleagues for for some good questions because I, I didn't want it just to be sort of you know white middle-aged white male questions so i wanted to make sure that you know i, I got some questions that that were and again that that's what i mean it's great having great other opinions mind. and you can ask yeah. questions and and look for, through things from different perspectives and and one of my colleagues said that you know we're seeing roles such as you know we are seeing more women coming into the tech sector but they seem to be coming in into marketing hr sales but flipping back into the technical side and the engineering side is there something that you know that that's really still lagging behind is there something that we can do about that is that schools is that you know is that as as parents that can make those changes i, I don't know over to you really <laughs> That's a great question. I wish I had all the answers to these because, and it's something that we should talk about in, in different rooms and with different groups of people because we need everyone's input. And I, I really appreciate that you crowdsourced some of these so you, you knew that there was other perspectives to come in. We, I, certainly, I certainly see, at least in the entrepreneur and tech world, that you know, there is that skewed maybe distribution towards more feminine types of, of roles, whether it's, you know, education tech or HR or e-commerce, marketing, as you said. And I still feel like I'm, I'm an odd one out in, in terms of the deep tech, AI, you know, coding places. And I think it has to start and I guess the interventions need to be coming at all angles when, when people, you know, and and school is is vital and family is vital but we we can't wait you know a few decades to until they're adults and go oh that that didn't work and you know how do we know if we've applied it the same strategic way so i think it's really about i think role modeling is really important i think if i had more exposure to women and technology much younger that would have been very eye-opening and that exposure I think could spark that curiosity and knowing that there was someone. And I think, you know, that network effect to help promote the different achievements of women is really important. But then also what are the actionable steps that we can take? Could we have more, you know, interns coming in to which is something that we're I'm very passionate about to make sure young women are, you know, following the day to day and they go, oh, 
she's not that clever or she makes mistakes and <laughs> just, you know, a human being. So it can start to unpack maybe some of these biases or socializations to think that girls or women can't do this. And I, I think there's also an important piece to my story in that you can career change. I started in, in public health. That's not usually synonymous with technology. If anything, it's quite a more older institution that's trying, I'm trying to help break it through into, you know, the technologies, how that could provide benefit. But there's, there's endless, I think, examples, but it's being able to look at role models being able to reach them, having different programs to access these people and make it feel like it's not, you know, some magical person out there that is one of a kind, because it is something that anyone can do, starting a business, getting into technology. There's so many pathways in. I think it's our own pursuit and of, I guess, our, our pursuit to to find ourselves in our purpose and not be limited by what we think others believe that to be. Yeah, and and, and speaking of which, um, you know, and in terms of you know, you mentioned AI and and I, I actually one of my team was actually speaking to a company the other day, and again, this is the shift that we, we are finally starting to see is that there's a company out there that now can can check the bias in AI to make sure that it's actually not just you know looking at the opinion from one area that it, it's checking to make sure that you know we have opinions from different different walks of life when we're making these decisions and we're training ai and we're, we're working with machine learning because that's potentially a bigger problem that's brewing isn't it if we don't fix this and then we start putting that into machines then that that 217 years actually becomes probably longer Absolutely. Yeah, it's quite frightening when we think of what we might be automating into these systems if we're not addressing it. And certainly, I was actually going to raise a great documentary called Coded Bias on, on Netflix. And it, it is some, I think, Stanford, MIT, no, MIT researcher that has brought together a group of, especially women, that, that are looking at the, the bias and from ethnic and Black perspectives that's really missing from technology. But again, the concerns that can result by not addressing some of those. And again, I think it, it's, it can be really abstract and, you know, feel that it's so far in the future. It's oh, someone else will deal with that at some point. But actually, we're, we're much further into that world than I think we realize. And I think it's something that we should be more concerned about and actively working on. How can we better use data? So with i3 Intelligence, we have an open source intelligence model to pull a rich, you know, five to 10 million data points a day from that wisdom of the crowd into our models to understand also how people are speaking about language of safety. So safety, you know, of a theft or crime, we can certainly agree on some of these um, categories that might have a lot more reports and figures and data behind it. But then again, those nuances of actually just on my run, I had someone's cat call me from their car. And while I'm, this is part of life for me, if I was at night, if I was a younger woman, if I was, you know, traveling there for the first time, 
we don't really understand the consequences that might happen in terms of maybe I wouldn't want to travel again. Maybe, you know, I made a comment back and it escalated into a crime and, you know, changed the course of my life or someone's life. These things happen quite often and we under understanding the different perspectives is vital and looking at how it can serve people through technologies to help empower them to have the information and ways of getting help and knowing the spaces that they're moving through is really important. So from from again from from the conversations that we we've had beforehand, I suppose the aspect of I three intelligence, which is which is basically you've opened up the the APIs to the safe and safety app for other companies to to engage with. I think the one that we touched on over email was perhaps a a company doing an event, you know, in the middle of a city centre. You could basically give them the APIs to connect to that, so they can get the safest route to that venue. Um, and again, I think that's a brilliant idea. Thank you. It sounds really simple, but I can imagine the uh, coding that goes behind that. <laughs> and I mean, I guess one thing to just to elaborate on with the the routing is that we're trying not to be prescriptive. We're really trying to learn on top of what technologies already exist. You know, we I know from my experience, and this is again part of the reason, and then the people that I talked to that had just such an overwhelming positive response to quit my job and to undertake this kind of crazy adventure as a tech entrepreneur is that the we're all going to have the different perspectives of how safe something feels if you're in london and you've been in london forever and again i'm a newcomer laid out at night meeting a friend they can have different i guess complexities to it and so we try not to prescribe routes as if someone was a car or a robot <laughs> or that we all viewed safety and felt the same about safety. So it's actually about providing alerts and information that's relevant to that person and keeps them informed. So not, oh my gosh, there's something terrible here. But if there is, how can you get that information served to you beforehand to make you feel there's some control over the situation. You have options. You can, you know, make choices, call for help, you know, get someone to walk with you. Or So we're trying to unlock the possibilities, but then using that product and understanding of how people interact to also improve our knowledge of how do we, you know, come to more groups of ways we can move people and improve that space. I suppose coming on to some of the uh, things I know that you're passionate about in, in terms of technology, and, and I think we all see this with, with various different apps and, and websites, and you know, I quite often will be found cursing something at the screen because it's not quite right. Obviously, technology is moving at a, a pace, which, which we've touched on a number of times, but quite often it's not human-centric enough, and, and that, that just makes it a little bit more clunky. And I, I'll give you an example of that, which I had recently. I I've drive an electric car, try and do the right thing with the planet. And I, I, I did a long journey. And the first app that I got, which I'd used before, to charge, connected up, swiped it over, started charging, went and got a coffee, came back, great. And then I arrived at my hotel that evening. I thought, oh, I'll just top up, uh, as you do. And it wouldn't accept the app that I got. So I'd got to download a new app. And then that new app was 
from a large energy company which will remain nameless for fear of uh, retribution and it was just so clunky it was trying to send me emails to do this and i was just stood there for 40 minutes trying to get this app to work and i'm like the technology is there to make this seamless we should just have one app no matter what car you're charging no matter what charger and it cross works i I, I take it that you're really frustrated with that as well (laughs) not necessarily electric car charging but yeah i think we've all had technology that's not that fails us in these ways like uh, i guess anything that comes up in life but I haven't yet experienced the the electric vehicle mishap yet. I'm sure I will at some point. But yeah, I do think there's a lot of duplication in technologies and being, I guess, replicating it. We also have the leaders that, you know, I think we do need to disrupt and look for Maybe it's not the the hundred million, you know, pound app that they that they have going. But there is these duplications or missing pieces that I think we do need to be better at connecting up. And that's certainly, again, with thinking about people's safety and well-being on mobile devices, that should be front and center. You don't build vehicles. You didn't get into your electric vehicle when it didn't work. So I I think we still have some ways of of progressing our our policy, our standards, the people who who may be able to come in to develop some of these technologies so they're not, you know, malicious or scams and and these different things. So there's a lot of complexity, I, I agree, in terms of what's out there. But I think if we set the standards of, you know, the ability to travel that we all need to play a role, whether you're on a dating app, whether you're using a, you know, a standard navigation app or you're using a a car sat sat nav, the information around safety, we should really put people at the heart of it, not just calling them a user and, you know, thinking of them just as a number, but thinking actually there's a person, maybe there's a woman or a child or, a newcomer that's using this product and understanding and stress testing a lot more of those vulnerabilities so that we can work towards improving those standards and kind of forgetting about them altogether. Yeah. And I think we see, I think in in the tech sector, we do see a lot of, you know, technology is often designed by very, very clever people, far cleverer than, than, than I'll ever be. And, you know, they probably a little bit too close to it at times when they roll it out and they think that everybody else thinks like them and they probably don't realize that other people need to use that product that aren't quite as technical maybe or or, or yeah i just think like that i think that's part of the problem and we see it with with, with sales you know we, we see some vendors that have got absolutely stunning products you know they're technically way above anything else but they really struggle to sell it because they don't humanize it enough and they don't sort of bring it into case studies and tell a story around it. They focus too much on the technical aspect of it. So I can see how that rolls out into app development and and products as a whole. Exactly. And I think you're probably familiar. I'd be curious to hear your perspective on kind of the attention economy that the, the tech sector is really kind of harnessed around maybe social media um, but, you know, gaming, but I think this is something that does need to shift that we don't need to capture 
all of this attention and data on different people to influence them in ways that profit us, but more, you know, how can we, how can we build technologies that fundamentally will help almost everybody in some basic way that will help us evolve into, I guess, a, a species, a civilization that can, that can survive and can thrive in these, I think we're living through it with climate change and kind of thinking about these business models that have a, a win-lose, but ultimately when we're talking about other humans, I think we're all going to lose if that's kind of the, the paradigm that we're working on. But yeah, I'd be curious to know if, if you, if you've seen that kind of trend or yeah, absolutely. I think you hit on it quite early on and you touched on, you know, we've always been bought, you know, particularly my generation is that business is for profit, you know, and that profit is sanity. And I do see a shift, particularly with my daughter's generation, around how people are building tech for good, which is which is good. And just the different ways of how we should approach technology and that, you know, it doesn't, if it helps someone, if it can do something different, then you can still make a profit out of it. Profit isn't a bad thing, but it shouldn't be the only thing. It should be out there to, to help and, and to, to help communities, to help individuals. And I'm a big believer in that, you know, if we all, I suppose, widen our horizons to thinking like that, it's only going to be for the better. But But again, you know, Without profit, none of us uh, earn a living, and we, we, yeah, absolutely need profit there. But yeah, if we can help, and I, I can see the generational shift, I really can, and that is encouraging, and it is great to see that. It is, and I think I touch on this in the my book, Wired Influence, and in that you know, capturing and recognizing where we are, if we're spending you know on average five to six hours a day on our social media, for example. And that information is is a drain, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it is a benefit, maybe you're making your career off of it, although there's very few people doing that on us at scale. So I guess I, I think it's important to apply our own mindfulness to technologies of where do we want to influence the direction? You know, do we want to influence the direction? Yeah, in terms of putting, spending money with companies that are users using sustainable products or do have more transparency in their privacy policies and, and how they're trying to benefit people um, beyond maybe just a, a linear kind of pathway. And I think it's important. We, we, I think because technology in terms of the internet and a lot more of these technologies that are accelerating us, we're not really thinking about our digital legacy. What are we helping to promote or yeah, your daughter's generation or maybe her daughter's generation if we're not tackling some of those problems today. Yeah, and I suppose one thing coming back to us that's been very sort of uh, topical recently and uh, you can't really go anywhere in the tech sector without someone mentioning the word metaverse these days. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think the jury's still out if, it, if it's going to be the next big thing, but Web, web 3.0 is coming. It's quite disturbing that you start, you know, and I know the media love to play on, on uh, things, but you do start to hear these disturbing things that people are getting harassed in, in the metaverse, that there are some very strange actions going on there. And it's just, wow, we're moving our 
human problems into the virtual world and it's just mm -hmm. yeah that's crazy exactly and that i guess that's that's part of it if we're not developing for people who might take advantage i i won't mention names but i know that there was a, a very popular running and cycling app but and again just innocently share your location and and where you go for your runs and and so forth but then yeah there were people who would show up at your door and know they found you online and they they know where you run and if you run by yourself and you, you know we need to think about these aspects of of safety and how we can potentially build them out but also recognize those data points when we are like oh there are you know there is someone that's virtually sexually harassing or assaulting or beating someone up like how can we look at this from a perspective that can influence our technology for a way to hopefully minimize that risk or maybe remove that type of behavior to cultivate more of those communal spaces that we want to spend time in and i think that's why the trust and safety comes very hand in hand of how do we evolve technologies that to look at those perspectives of a person and a human and our need to be safe and respected and have dignity i, I know obviously that that's quite scary and i've you know used strava before which is you know a running app i've used that and uh you suddenly you've actually i've never thought that i've actually shared the location of where i run and you know pretty, pretty much my home as well on that app yeah that's quite worrying but there we go but yeah they, they um, have some I, new functionalities of, of that particular app that but again it's it's kind of an afterthought then let's learn and build on each other's kind of work to to evolve these these kind of basics of what we need as people yeah thank, thankfully i've not had any stalkers which is positive Good. Good. in terms of i suppose moving on to bits of the podcast because i'm conscious of, of, of your time something really important one of the things i always ask our guests is a question and a little piece of advice or or something that they've learned in the experience to, to help our, our audience and, and you know I, I think podcasts are all about learning something new or or, or understanding a different perspective on something and if you were to you know if you could give a piece of advice to future female business leaders if you had the chance what would it be oh, this is a great question my very short answer is just keep going <laughs> you got this i would say that to probably any business entrepreneur because it is a tough journey but i think specifically for female business leaders, I would say, I try to apply what I've called stoic feminism. So if you're familiar with stoicism, it's an ancient philosophy. It really is rooted in egalitarian and equality. They, even from the third century, they believed that slaves and women were born equal and that we shared a oneness as humankind. So the principle of, I guess, stoic feminism is to, to you know, you go through these challenges that will present themselves in different forms, whether it's because of your gender, your race, or your age, or abilities. But it's, I guess, the endless pursuit of your own way of being ethical and trying to evolve the challenges into something that can benefit you and someone else in that process. So I think through some of the challenges with Safe in the City, that's been really at the heart of it. It's I'm trying to do this to make it easier for more potential women to come through to create their own products, to 
for other people to be inspired to tackle problems that matter to them. And I think, yeah, that kind of resilience feels like it's something that you'll need as a business leader and is a, is a talk that I give in a little bit more detail, but it's something really key for people. Yeah, no, no, that, that, that's great advice. And yeah, I think a lot of people appreciate that. We're, we're in a volatile world at the moment. And I think the challenges as a, as a business leader are, are tough and are probably going to get tougher moving forward. And I suppose uh, we, we all appreciate advice when we're given it. So, th- so thank you for that. I'm going to come to a couple of our, our sort of quick fire questions that, that we always ask as we start to wrap up, just to sort of do that. My favorite question is always, what's your favorite tech gadget? I have, I have a, I have a problem with this because I, I'm that person that has an app for everything, <laughs> <laughs> or at least I used to be. Um, I think in terms of, I guess, the segue of uh, we're in some challenging times, I think there's some really cool um gadgets and apps um that are earning passive income on you know maybe a bitcoin there's the basic attention token on brave so any ad revenue gets put into your bucket you can share it with creators there's actually one i just came across called club bitcoin and it's solitaire which i love (laughs) so you earn sats or satoshis as you play so I think there's some really cool ways that whether you do that or I have some other ones like a tree app where I can, especially before I go travel, I usually plant a bunch of trees, support businesses that are also sustainable. There's some great tech gadgets that are really, again, building that future that I want you know, my family to live in and my children and their children. So I would say that those are high on my list. And then just for fun, the Wombo AI art app. That's really fun if you haven't given it a go. Um, the AI no, creates haven't. art. Oh, yeah. Give it a go. There's, it's really interesting. It's not one of those addictive ones, is it? Because uh, I, get, I, yeah, I get enough trouble for answering emails at you know, 10 o'clock at night and stuff like that. <laughs> but I just, I'd rather just deal with something there and then than wait till the next morning for it. But So speaking of AI as well, you know, again, my, my last question to you, should we be afraid of AI or should we embrace it? Oh, this is a really great question, Ian, and, and a difficult one to end on. But I think I think we should have some real concerns if we do nothing in the direction that we are headed, whether that's kind of the coded bias and minorities not having a representative, I guess, place in where AI is taking us. But I think also we need to be a little bit more conscious of what we put on if if our Models are trained on Twitter and the anger and troll farms that are happening. You know, what are we producing to to what advantage? Or, you know, if there's only a few players that have access to the benefits of AI, how can that be maybe used against certain people or companies or organizations? So I think we should practice caution, but know that there is such an endless opportunities of how we can use AI to really help advance core issues to human beings and our planet and our kind of virtual civilizations to come. So I I would say I'm in the middle, but I'm more concerned right now, which is why I'm giving my all towards the other side. Yeah. And, and I suppose, you know, just to sort of to wrap that up in terms of, uh, you know, I think, you know, particularly in, the, in healthcare, I can see AI, you know, having 
a great deal of traction and and doing some really good there. But again, if that if that bias isn't in check all the time, you could end up with some some real issues in that space. So yeah, and I, I'm sure again that there's far cleverer people than than I looking at that. And I, I suppose we've just got to put our trust in in that those people are going to do the right thing. They are going to um, make sure that you know, AI is going to benefit us all. And I, I do think that, you know, I, I personally, I, I think that it, it's a good thing. But again, as, as you probably stated, a little bit of a check, a little bit of a, a sanity check to make sure that uh, we're going in the right direction with it. Because the last thing we want to do is to put all our human faults into something that could actually benefit us. Absolutely. And there's a couple other readings that I would recommend to your listeners. Something called Scary Smart that's the art of future of artificial intelligence and how you can save our world and also invisible women which is looking at the gender data gap and how there's bias in our systems so i would encourage people to learn more i think there it is a large and complex topic but you can start really small and just educate yourself to learn a little bit and again maybe spark that curiosity know and research people who might look or come from similar backgrounds to you to know that if this is something that you want to pursue, you can absolutely do that. I think there's no time but today to embrace technology and to bring your innovations to life. Thanks for joining the show. Good luck with the app and we'll be following your progress and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank you so much, Ian, and all that you're doing at ASM. Thanks for listening to this episode of ASM Connected with guest Gillian Kowalchuk. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe now to make sure you never miss an update and check out other episodes in the series. To find out more about the team at ASM Technologies, visit asmtech.com. This is ASM Connected.